Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner mares is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man that he is. They'll chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's American dream, and being a husband and a girl dad, which is pretty rad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben off this cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We're going to be doing a little bit of let's say distractions during the international break as we continue to fill your feed even though there are no matches and in case you've forgotten this is going to be a recurring one we've got phil from chelsea youth on and again like i said he's going to be here monthly talk about what's going on over at cobham and the dev squad and the in the youth teams so don't forget this is this is going to be one of many so phil we are excited to to have you back on and and this is a perfect gap filling piece of content this could not be better timed well done sir yeah thanks for having me back i really enjoyed coming on last season i'm really looking forward to uh discussing everything to do with the academy throughout this season it's gonna be it's gonna be good dan i'll let you go through the running order of the show here real quick before we get into some of the some of the the more specific stuff here Yeah, we've got a couple of things we want to get through. Obviously, it's been a while since Academy football has gotten underway in England. There was a much longer break from the end of that season to the beginning of this season. So kind of getting an update more so in general about what's going on within the state of the Academy, given COVID-19 restrictions and how things maybe have changed a little bit. Going through our U23, our dev squad, who mathematically won their way to a trophy last season, which was very exciting. And then we also talk about the U18s, what's going on with them, host of new players that side, and then any loans that we might be watching over keenly. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably the way we would just want to jump in, Phil, is kind of thinking about, you know, Chelsea specifically, but maybe Academy football as a whole, you know, as 
obviously changed a whole lot within the UK. Like, what's your read on it? How are you seeing maybe the landscape changing before we kind of jump into maybe what's going on with the specific teams? It's it's really interesting because we see sort of the top level of it. We see the under 23, under 18 football, but academy football stretches down to under nines, under eights, and not just at the elite level. We're talking across the entire country, down to grassroots level, just uh, kids playing on a Sunday morning or whatever. So the main academy teams had six months off between competitive matches. They, they finished at the start of March and didn't come back until the 12th of September when the Premier League started. They had about a month of pre-season, but for a lot of teams, that was a pre-season of flux. There were some teams that can't use their own training facilities because it's shared with the first team and it's in too close of a proximity. And the same applies to their matches. They've had to play matches at different venues than they ordinarily would. So everyone's sort of learning as they go. And there's been the odd match that's already fallen victim to positive tests or just a safety first procedure, not necessarily at Chelsea, but uh, Liverpool were meant to play Man United on the opening day of the under 18 season. That match was postponed because of a positive test. And it's it, it, just like anything else, we're going to be sort of feeling out as we go throughout the season. The younger age groups, so the 15-year-olds down to the under, under sevens and under eights, they came back three and a half weeks later so they've just gotten underway sort of at the end of September, start of October. They too had a lot of time off and I mean, it, everyone's doing the best they can, but it's really hard to to know sort of the, the long-term effects of having such an absence of not just competitive football, but con- uh, access time with the coaching staff and with your teammates and being in a collaborative and collective environment. Uh, we're only really at the, the start of this. Phil, I guess a quick follow-up on this would be uh, we know that Chelsea obviously had some pretty um, strict restrictions around um, around Cobham and, and due to the COVID out, or COVID-19 outbreak that happened back in, in March. Did that affect the youth teams in any more dramatic way than it affected the first team? Or is this, you know, kind of are all the safety procedures and protocols just being followed no matter what age group is out there or how the age groups are collectively in the same building together like how does that all work so until the premier league season finished last season it was first team only um chelsea have got the benefit of their site being effectively split in half by a long road that goes down the middle as you guys know the right side as you as you drive in is for the first team the left side is for the academy and it's such a vast vast premises that you can you can use some of the pitches further away from the entrance and distance effectively but because the premier league season finishing was a be all and end all there was a bubble and there were strict protocols across all 20 Premier League clubs for that not to break. And so when that season finished, Academy boys were starting to come back in. So you start with the 23s and 18s, and then you, you you drip down to the younger age groups. And slowly but surely, they started to open it up a little more. So the first, games of the, the first game of the season was strictly behind closed doors. The first home game was then. Your uh, uh, Players were allowed one family member per player to to watch and risk assessments are being done all the time and it's just a case of taking it one one match at a time and trying to just open up a little bit more while still maintaining the strict protocols that have been put in place by the club it's it's a balancing act that um you know it, just as like i think the the youth league is really starting to to click things are going we're starting to get more on tv 
some more publicity then obviously the pandemic hit same thing with women's football and it, it, it things have definitely taken steps backwards a lot of things have in life uh and the hard thing is for the for these guys you know they're in american terms you know in high school looking to get recruited for that first pro contract and like many division one athletes two and three right now in america they don't really know what this season's gonna be like do i play do i not play do i get a free year like how is this gonna work and so it a lot of the same concerns and, and issues exist with this group um it's just you know different terminology essentially same situation um so let's go ahead and break into each team a little bit here so if we we start with the dev squad which would be the older group of kids so this would be like our u23 team um look it was a it was a great season and dan's even put in a fancy word he wants me to read in this script says even truncated for andy mm. Myers' side mm. and for all of you that know me so well that's right in my back pocket in my vocabulary <laughs> love a good yeah. truncated uh, he put in here from Phil's article, uh, the development squad were crowned Premier League two champions on points per game as they held a three point lead over Leicester City with four matches remaining part of a league run in which they were unbeaten from start to parentheses premature finish. Uh, again, you can find said articles. Uh, where are we going? Is it uh, what website is it, Phil, that we can we can find the rest of your articles? Uh, you can read them on thechels.net. Obviously, if, if you're not following on Twitter, you're you're silly. So, what do you remember most fondly about the the season that just passed, Phil, and kind of how that teases us up for hopefully a season this year? Uh, I think the way they maintained the the unbeaten season was um, what I remember most fondly about it, because there were so many times where it looked to be in peril, and they early in the season they came back from Tino down to rescue a draw three times in the space of five or six games from my memory, and it was it was an individual playing job, but it was coaching as well. There were so many matches where Andy Myers and John Harley and Eric Ramsey would figure out, okay, this is how the match is going this week. This is what I need to do, and it's testament to the players that they were able to shuffle around formations or positions to to figure out how to get the result from each match and it, it wasn't necessarily a season of fireworks or any spectacular performances but it was a relentless professional job that they saw through and it's disappointing that they didn't get to parade the trophy and celebrate in front of uh, a crowd they had to do that at Cobham behind closed doors with cameras but uh, it's, it's the first league title they've won at this level in six years and they did a really really good job of it how do you feel just to maybe kind of talk about Myers for a moment? Obviously this was his first season with the dev side kind of going up through the Chelsea ranks of, you know, coaching. How, how well do you think he handled the U23 setup and obviously wins the championship on beat and run, but was there anything that you took away as being really impressed by with his, you know, kind of coaching ability or progression? You can, you could see it throughout the the team in from a match to match basis that they were they were really well drilled and know what they're meant to be doing there there's usually some sort of uh, freedom for the players to to express themselves and to take uh, take decisions into their own hands and that's absolutely fine but the the way they set up and the way they played was familiar and consistent from week to week and you don't always see that in academy football and uh, as much as anything else over the years we know that Chelsea have produced some fantastic individual players but the quality of coaching has underpinned it at every turn and 
Myers now is a much better under 23 coach than he was a year ago and that's the way it's meant to work because it's not just development for the players it's development for the coaching staff as well they went out and they, they got Eric Ramsey from from Shrewsbury Town to to help support the backroom team he's got a UEFA Pro license it's just it's another quality coach to 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 work with an ever younger group remember Myers isn't working with 20 21 22 year olds in an under 23 league he's working with 17 and 18 year olds so to turn those guys into title challengers speaks to the quality of his work right and and you think about this right Phil because Chelsea obviously are in the most enviable position of having uh too much youth talent um for for just the U17 type of squad so like Maybe talk a little bit about um, the composition of this squad, if you can, compared to maybe some of the other U23 squads that are out there, you know, right? Because this is a typically younger squad than you would have elsewhere, right? Yeah, everyone goes approaches it slightly differently and the league is getting younger, but it's, it is by, by definition an under-23 league, so it's not uncommon to see 20 and 21-year-olds playing regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially for clubs that don't have the depth that Chelsea do. The only other team that's as young as Chelsea is Manchester City, and for obvious reasons, they they have as much depth and as uh, as they cast their net as wide as Chelsea do in recruitment. So both teams end up with a bunch of young teenagers in their team. But City have often struggled. They finished just outside of the PL2 relegation zone last season. They've never really pushed for the title while going with this young approach. Whereas Chelsea have often been in at least the top half of the league under Joe Edwards before Andy Myers. But so, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard because you've got two or three years age difference, but it doesn't always tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of those 20 and 21 year olds might just they be mentally checked out if they're playing those matches they think okay what, what am I doing here I, I should be out playing senior football somewhere else uh, maybe by going younger you keep the appetite of progression because you know that after a season maybe 18 months in the development squad you're on to the next level of your career which is at Chelsea it's a loan move um, having that sort of career progression for these guys is it helps keep the the team more competitive than a team that might have three or four guys who don't know where they're going. So when I'm looking at this roster, it's a bit smaller than, well, it's definitely smaller than the U18s. So I'm going to ask, you know, when I get through this roster, Phil, kind of like, is that on purpose? Because first teamers coming down, U18ers going up. Um, but you've got Carlos Zeger in goal, Pierre Equa, Elimbi, Ian Matson, Xavier or how do you say Xavier's Mbuyamba? Did, yep. did I do that Mbuyamba. right? Looks very Dutch. Uh, Sam McClellan, Daniel Simeu, Dujan Sterling, Jack Wakeley in the defense. Uh, midfielders, Tino Andrin should be a very familiar name for you out there. Tierno Bayo, uh, Henry Lawrence, and Marcel Lewis. And then forwards, just George Nunn uh, and Charlie Brown listed on the on the Chelsea development squad website. But again, that's especially when you get in the 18s, it's like a third of the players that that team has. Is that on purpose? There's there's a few guys that have stepped up to the development squad this season that aren't on the uh, the official squad. So Levi Colwell's played at centre-half all season. Miles Pat Harris has come into the midfield. Lewis Bates in the midfield. And uh, there'll be one or two others who've stepped up a little bit early. Lucas Bergstrom's been playing in goal. Brian Fiabema scored his first goal against Arsenal last weekend. So that's part of it because the development squad is subject to losing players on loan at any moment. So they've already had George McEachern go on loan. John Russell's gone out on loan. Tarek Owakwe's gone on loan. 
And the under-18s brought 14 new players in this summer. So you can't have those 14 plus the dozen that came last season into a 26-man squad for the under-18s. You just push the best ones up early. That's what Lewis Bate came up early last season. Colwell did it last year. So Livramento um, turned into a development squad regular last season. If they've proven themselves at under-18 level within a year, and some of these guys were playing as schoolboys, so they've had 18 months to two years of exposure at youth team, you push them onto the next target. They might be 5 or 10% short of being ready to play at that level, but by going up early, they often make that up in half the time. So if you're looking at the list of who's in this U23 side to start the season, who do you think is going to be the focal point or the individual that you know, Myers is going to look to to really kind of be the engine for this team or be the the face of what you, Chelsea U23 football looks like this season? Uh, based on the season so far, it you, you'd be hard-pressed to argue against Miles per Harris because we have only had four or five games, but he scored goals, he's created goals, he's been play, given the responsibility of playing number 10 early in the season and played back as a, a deepest number eight against Arsenal and did both matches with real aplomb. And he's another of that sort of Tino Andrew and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, strong physique, very elegant runner, very comfortable in possession, likes to impact the game in the final third. They all have their own uh, specific attributes that differ from one another, but to just as a very basic comparison, they're all of the same ilk. Uh, he started very, he turned 18 in September. Uh, sort of, you can look further back and the two center halves, Donnell Simeu and Levi Colwell look like they've got a fantastic partnership going already. Colwell in, in particular is, is a lovely, a lovely defender to watch. Left-sided, tall, broad, likes to step out and play the first pass, does the defending very well. Reminiscent a little bit of Jake Clark Salter. And that's those two maybe sort of define what this team is right now. They're players who should still be eligible for the youth team, but have stepped up, played for the 23s and played to a very high level already. I know that Tino Andrin is going to be a, a point of focus for, for Chelsea supporters this year. Um, with Ruben and Ross leaving on loan, there you know the grumbles around football Twitter have been that he might see some more time, just given the uh, time of the first team, I should say, given the amount of fixtures that the first team have in such a short amount of time this season. Do you get the sense that he'll be a bit of a yo-yo player between both teams this year, or is he going to be primarily focused on the U23s? I think he'll be a yo-yo player at least for the next three, three and a half months or so. Obviously, he's missed... Uh, he's not played any football since making his first team debut in March. He didn't play um, he, during the, the restart. He picked up an injury, hasn't played any preseason, hasn't played for anyone so far this season. He is now back in training. He's going through his own preseason, start getting first perhaps soon as the end for the development squad. The EFL domestic loan window closes uh, the second half of next week. And it doesn't necessarily look like he'll go on loan yet just because I think he wants to stay. He wants to 
see if there's an opportunity for him to to get minutes in this congested schedule. Let's see how it goes between now and January, see what opportunities open up for him. If it looks like he needs more regular football at that point, the transfer window is open again. And it's not just the EFL at that point. You can go to wherever because he's obviously a player of a really high calibre. And you might argue that you can he can play at a higher level than the championship already. I certainly would. Uh, but when you've had so lot, so so much time out injured, you want to take it a little bit slower in in the comeback phase. So we we know he's plenty good for the PL two. He's already proven that. But there's no harm in getting him back up to speed at that level. It's an interesting situation, and we talked about this in one of our other podcasts recently. With you can kind of take a gamble on a loan this fall because it's only for a couple months versus three, four months before. Um, or you can say, you know what? No, I am going to wait because December, the January transfer window is very close. I'm going to stay at Chelsea, see how things shake out, and then make a decision. Uh, and then, to your point, especially with this group, Phil, the EFL window is open even longer. So they've got more time to see how rosters and things shuffle out. So uh, I, finally, for once, I think these guys are, are benefited by it. You know what's a, an interesting name? that has popped up recently and and you had actually quote t- tweeted it as well. Uh Charlie Musanda is this a, is that a name that we might see in the dev squad this season? Uh, again, potentially he's missed the best part of 2 years of football. I think he's played four games as a sub for Vitesse totaling fewer than 60 minutes in in that time when he's had uh serious crucial ligament injuries. He's now been back in rehab for for some time I think he's approaching the point where he can get back on the field I don't think there's any point in rushing alone at this stage Um, Chelsea would probably rather keep him in-house and keep a closer look on his fitness to make sure that he's ready for the next step and yeah the development squad will provide an opportunity for him to to make a comeback in a in a in a safer place than just going straight back to Vitesse and seeing what it's like for a third year there. I'd certainly favour that. He's been training out in Dubai for the last few weeks. He's, uh, the pictures have gone around on social media. Everyone's seen <laughs> that he's he's doing his best to to bulk up. And some of that will be targeted, but some of it will just have come sort of naturally through age. He's 23 now, I think. And none of his family have ever been that big. Neither of his brothers were big. His dad was an international footballer. But again, his dad and his older brother, Tika, both had to retire early due to serious knee injuries. So he knows better than anyone that there's no point in rushing this right now. Uh, I mean, as a teenager, he's such a fun player to watch. So I can understand that there's a clamor for people to see him come back because everyone loves to see players of, of that style and that actually when he scored his first the club against Nottingham Forest I don't think I've ever seen a player happier to score a goal um, so <laughs> yeah again maybe we'll see him play for the development squad once or twice and then get his career back on track in January for sure but this is the team at least right this is the purpose of this team kind of within the the higher structure right yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's there for players to to push through and continue development. But again, if the club owns an asset and owns a player that needs to take it a little bit slower and do their fitness work, then they'll come back and do this one. Loftus Sheik did it earlier in the year. He played a couple of development squad mm-hmm. matches and Lampard lamented that that season was curtailed because he was just about to get more minutes under his belt and would have been more of a factor during lockdown. But again, there were three months out that he didn't expect to have to endure. 
Then one follow-up question on, because, I mean, you're looking at this list and it's these are all players that I think most Chelsea supporters will have a keen eye on, but the one I'll pick out of the defensive grouping would be uh, Xavier Mbayamba. Um, let's, I mean, I know that he's obviously a new player to Chelsea. Uh, he got everyone really excited because he was our first signing this summer and everyone was clamoring for more. But, I mean, the the size and profile of this guy is, is pretty outstanding. Um, so I just want to get your your thoughts and feelings on, on what his pathway is this year and, and what he needs to work on. Obviously, he's kind of a, on the younger side of this group. Yeah, uh, the first thing to say is that he's recovering from knee surgery. It was a meniscus cleanup and he's on course to to be back before the end of this year. Mm-hmm. He he looks every inch the modern defender just to look at him play. He's tall, he's strong, he's athletic, he's very comfortable in possession. He's played for Barcelona's academy. He ticks all of the boxes that people want, but everyone for understandable reasons, given the state of Chelsea centre-half defending last year, got a little bit ahead of themselves when he signed. Uh, it doesn't help that he's been labelled the new Virgil van Dijk or whatever. He's barely played any senior football. He had a season in the Dutch second division, which is a division that Chelsea have loaned some players to, but given that they'll prefer to loan to the Eredivisie, you can see the comparisons of the the difference in quality. And he played for Barcelona's under-19s. He didn't even get to play for Barcelona B. So he's arguably behind in his development compared to some of his now development squad teammates but he's got you should basically just view him as a lump of clay to mold because if you if you if you're patient with him and you develop him right then you've got a real real defender on your hands in a few years time but that's the important thing is a few years time he's not going to be making that sort of impression in the next year to two years someone like Mark Gurhey is a long way ahead of him for comparison Mm. So as we kind of take a look at just how the results have landed for us in the leasing.com trophy, Chelsea started the season with a (laughs) a 2-1 loss to Oxford United. Heading into the Premier League, we beat West Ham 1-0. We thoroughly enjoyed beating Southampton 4-1. We lost, unfortunately, to Brighton 2-0. We in the leasing.com trophy, we had a 1-1 draw that went to Pens against Walsall. And then our last result was a thumping of Arsenal 3-0. So that puts Chelsea right now second in the Southern Division, just behind Tottenham at nine points to their 10. Just you know, any of these results, maybe in specific, Phil, that you would want to highlight or point to, I, I guess... I, I maybe look at the first one and say, hey, you know what? Maybe that's just the fact that they were off for six months and uh, probably has made some of it challenging to get back up to speed. But what's your read on the first couple results and what you're seeing from that first loss to Oxford to now beating Arsenal 3-0? Uh, the Brighton PL2 defeat was their first league defeat in a year and a half. They obviously were unbeaten all of last year and it was April 2019 that they last lost and it was away to Brighton on the same pitch. <laughs> so oh, <no. laughs> these things have a way of coming back to to full circle. And there was no disgrace in losing to that Brighton team that night. Chelsea didn't play all of that bad. They gave up a, an early goal. Carlos Ziga came out, tried to clear from his bottom right-hand corner, gave it straight to a Romanian international centre-half who scored from the halfway line. That defender, Tudor Baluta, just went on loan to Dinamo Kiev. So it's it's not so often that you'll come up against a player of his experience and 
quality at under 23 level in England. But as far as the EFL trophy goes, Chelsea had lost in that last season. Oxford were in the League One playoff final last year. This wasn't their strongest 11 by any means, but it was still a very capable team. Chelsea played well. They were, gave up another goal with a defensive mistake and on another night could have forced it to a draw, which in this competition goes to penalties for an extra bonus point, which they got against Walsall in the second group game. That Walsall performance was really impressive because there were times where they were up against it, against another really good League One team. They came on stronger in the second half. They got their equaliser and then they showed their composure in the penalty shootout to go and win. They scored all five of their penalties. None of them looked like they lacked confidence. They all took up their spot kick with conviction and they're finding themselves again. That They went out and beat Arsenal 3-0 a few days later and they they really should have had nine or ten. They, they, they absolutely dominated Arsenal from start <laughs> to finish. The, the classic 9-0 against Arsenal, huh, Phil? Um, I, yeah, I mean, you, you look at that, and that's probably the one that stands out for most Chelsea fans. But is the is the leasing.com trophy, like, you know, assuming that, that Chelsea are able to kind of get out of that, that group, is that a really important trophy for this team because they can play against more experienced first-team sides from lower divisions? Yeah, for sure. It's... It's not just the experience of playing against senior pros. It's the experience of playing sort of competition tournament football. And mm-hmm. it gets you into a, a different environment, a different mindset. And the next match is in November against Bristol Rovers. And they lost to Bristol Rovers last year, but they'll need to go there and win if they're to qualify. And their first season in this competition, a few years back, they got to the semifinals and lost to Lincoln on penalties. And that was a really uncompromising Lincoln team. It was Danny Cowley's team at the sort of their pomp. And they went there, they went up to Sinsel Bank that night and it was back when crowds were allowed in football stadiums. So it was a raucous atmosphere. A bunch of teenagers, Ampadu played, hudson Adoy played. Um, they, they were under pressure for the entire night and it, it didn't go their way. And they'd, they'd like to go as far as they can in the competition, but they understand that it's going to provide tougher fixtures than their league campaign will. That's a double-edged sword you want to be in it for as long as you can but you know that through no fault of your own sometimes you may end up falling a little bit short all right so if we pin you to some expectations this season what where are you expecting this team to go and do in the cup and the cup competitions in the league um and and everything they're involved in I think they'll be in the uh, title picture again in PL2 from what I've seen so far. It's it's a transitional season, so there's a few teams that will sort of stay where they are and don't have the same sort of depth that Chelsea have to bring through. Someone like Brighton will surely be a title challenger because of their level of investment and recruitment. They've just signed a highly touted player from Dortmund. They've brought in um, Jensen Weir from Wigan over the summer and he's a quality player. And they've got a stronger under-23 team than most clubs and a loan programme to rival Chelsea's. So they'll be up there. Tottenham look good. But this, this Chelsea team are conditioned to to win at this stage and they, they're they obviously not going to go and beat them because they've already lost already they'll probably lose a couple more games but I'd be surprised if they weren't up there for the title the the EFL trophy is a much sterner ask um, just because the deeper you get into that competition the more seriously the football league clubs end up taking it because they're they know that there's a, a Wembley match at the end of it whether or not that has fans in or not who knows because last season's final still hasn't been played um I think they're waiting to be able to get fans in for that one because Portsmouth and Salford are meant to be playing it. Um, 
it's hard to predict. And it's even harder to predict the UEFA Youth League for this group this season because it's not going to take its usual format. They um, usually mirror the Champions League, but to prevent against unnecessary travel during this pandemic, they are doing a 64-team knockout tournament, straight knockout from next March onwards. So until we know where Chelsea are seeded in that, if it's going to be seeded, what format the competition takes, nobody really knows how it's going to go. But again, Chelsea have played some of their best football in knockout tournaments. I wouldn't write them off. I mean, you'd be silly to write us off at this level. It is such a great long track record that uh, we want to keep it going, obviously. And hey, Chelsea's expectations wait for no transition, for no change, and they and they will continue to not do so. Um, but thank you, Phil, for the in-depth recap of the Dev Squad. I'm going to take us to a quick break. Huge thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. When we get back, we're going to do the same thing, except run down the U18 squad. Be right back. Fellas, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easier to do just that. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. As I am the hairiest person on the show, Brandon and Dan both elected for me to do this ad read. But, to their chagrin, I actually own Manscaped products already, including the Lawnmower 2.0 trimmer, but they have gone and done even better. The Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replacement ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps to reduce grooming accidents, which is a very good thing. The waterproof technology also allows for you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your grooming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free so that you know you're in good hands. They even have a crop reviver to keep you fresh in the steamiest of conditions. Their foot duster foot deodorant is so good that it can reduce even the odor of the smelliest, dirtiest feet. All of this means that in the middle of the summer, with peak humidity, that you're doing everything you can to stay fresh. Use the code LONDONISBLUE and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. If you want to do a better job of grooming, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and you will change your life for the better. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE, all one word. Upgrade your grooming routine with the luxury products of Manscaped. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with the free $75 credit at Indeed.com forward slash podcast. This is their best available offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com forward slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. All right. So quick transition to the U18s. 
the under 18s were in contention for a league and cup double and may still get their hands back on the FA Youth Cup should the FA stick to their plans to finish the competition this month. Again, pulling from another fantastic article from, from Phil. Uh, so this age group tends to see a significant amount of refreshing year to year as we've kind of touched on a little bit right now. Um, so from your perspective, Phil, how do you think um, we got on last season? How do you think the coaching staff did, the squad did? Again, recapping last season before we work into where we're at today. Again, I think they, they did really well. It's it's hard because that was a title race that they weren't in the league when the season was uh, curtailed. But they had everything in their hands to go and win it. They finished second on points per game behind Fulham. And they still had to play Fulham. Uh, a win there. And West Ham was still in the title picture as well. But West Ham still had to play Fulham. Chelsea still had to play West Ham. So there were there were six matches to go at that point. There was still an FA Youth Cup campaign to finish. They were in the semi-finals against Manchester United. And the Youth Cup may still be finished come the end of October. They're, they're sort of talking about dates that they can try to work out. The last three matches of that, Blackburn versus Man City in one semi-final, Chelsea versus Manchester United in the other, and then a single leg final. Who knows whether that's going to happen, but it's hard to properly evaluate Ed, Ed Brand and um, James Simmons' work because they never got to see the campaign through. They they were in contention for a domestic double. They were knocked out of the domestic under-18 League Cup up at Stoke uh, with a really, really young team on a day that they could have picked a much stronger team. But they did that knowing that the cup competitions are usually there for some of the players who don't get as many regular minutes. So looking at this squad, uh, it, it obviously has many more names and maybe what we should do instead of just running down the list is maybe kind of go in groupings you know, just as saying maybe goalkeepers and defenders, we brought a lot of new players into the side. Who are some of the names that we should be paying attention to either in uh, incoming brand new into Chelsea? You know, we brought some players in uh, from from Finland and France, uh, from kind of across you know, Europe to to bolster the side from you know, areas maybe where we don't have kind of the, the best depth. So when you look at those two positional groups, who are you pointing the finger at or keeping an eye on? for this season? Uh, there's a real mixture. From from the guys that have come through the academy, uh, the most familiar names to a lot of people will be Charlie Webster, Harvey Vale, and Jude Soonsat-Bell. Harvey played for the first team in the preseason friendly against Brighton. He was still 16 at the time. He's turned 17 since. He's uh, an attacking midfielder, left foot, scores plentifully. He scored 30-odd goals for the under-16s last year, many of them spectacular. He's already made some appearances for the development squad. Webster has captained England's under-16s. He's a, a playmaker, deeper midfielder, very, very easy on the eye. Dortmund have been interested in him, but he's committed his future to Chelsea. And Judson Sutbell is arguably the best centre-forward the academy has produced since Solanke and Abraham. And I know that's potentially high pressure of some of the players who've come through in the time since, but he really, really looks the part as a as a modern number nine and he's certainly one to keep an eye on. They've they've brought in some players from from the Nordic regions. Brian Fiabema's already scored a youth team goal and scored a development squad goal. You've got Edwin Anderson from Finland, Jimmy Tarjanen from Finland, sorry, Anderson from Sweden, Tarjanen from Finland. And it, they're both sort of players who prefer to play wide, cutting in 
Tarianen's left-footed, Anderson's right-footed, and they've only played a few games so far, so the best of them is still to come. But through a mix of the recruitment from abroad this summer and the players that are coming through, those are the guys that would be worth watching, at least in the short term. So there are obviously several first years in this bunch, um, just given some of the age gap. Besides, you know, some of the newer uh, signings that, that you just kind of talked about, is there anyone else that you would kind of pick out of this grouping, um, thinking about, you know, maybe guys who have come up through the 16s or uh, any of those other options that are, you know, maybe on the defensive side? Uh, on the defensive side, they've they started the season with uh, a more experienced defense. The guys who played a bit last season but haven't quite made that step. So Basher Humphreys, Charlie Wiggett, and Josh Brooking have started all the league matches so far. And it's it's quite useful to have a stable defense with such a young team ahead of them. And th- those guys will be looking to to step up and make more of development squad opportunities in the second half of the season. But that's how it works sometimes. You have the Lewis Bates and Tino Livramentos and Miles Harris's who move on quickly and early. And then from the same age group, a couple of guys who are they're, they're more of the slower burner. Armando Broja did it last year when he exploded. That was his second year. And he went from under-18s to development squad to being a full international for Albania. So just because they haven't sort of lit it up and ended up on everybody's attention so far doesn't mean that they won't. And to that end, someone like Joe Haig, who plays an attacking midfield role, is is definitely one to watch. He had his second half of last season injured, uh, ruined through injury. But before that, he was one of the more productive players in the team. Really, really nice player. There are some similarities to Mason Mount about him. Uh, he's maybe a little bit more of a natural mover and natural dribbler than Mason is, but I think he's a fantastic prospect and definitely one to worth watching when he's now fit and playing regularly again. And we don't need to get into this discussion. I just want to make a point that these poor guys and the numbers that they wear because they might potentially play for Chelsea in a cup competition. Oh yeah. It's the, the EFL um, insist on squad numbers being used for the EFL trophy because they are first team matches for the football league teams. It's up to each premier league club, whether they classify them as first team matches in their records. Chelsea don't. So none of these guys are classed as getting their debuts in that competition, but it could be worse. We only got up to number 73 so far. Manchester city have gone up to 97 and I'm waiting for, them to hit three figures it's a little bit farcical and uh, i don't really know why the efl enforce it uh, so those it, fake player jerseys where it's like their their centurion level games could actually be a real jersey for a city player one day <laughs> yeah, I mean, these numbers have to be used for for all first team matches so right. if one of those guys from city ends up making his first team debut then they'll be wearing uh, something in the 90s that's <laughs> The least soccer football-esque number. Again, I just have to point out, some of our listeners will find that to be much more enjoyable than others. I apologize. I'm definitely on the fringes with some of this stuff. Uh, But to see a goalkeeper wearing number 72 is just uncomfortable for me. (laughs) And then you even think about, like, Division I football here in America, right? You'll have, like, guys wearing the same number, one on offense and the other guys on defense, because they have so many players, they don't have enough numbers either. So what a what a weird situation we're in. But I do want to you know pull this to the goalkeepers for a myriad of obvious reasons, Phil. Um, you know I, I felt like we had a really strong group here already, and then we go and add another goalkeeper. So Christophe Lalashan very publicly putting these photos out, very excited. Uh, Sami Tiamkani, 
just signed. What I, I I don't know. I just to me, I don't know much about him yet. I need to get the article and understand. But we already had three different but strong goalkeepers. I'm assuming Chelsea didn't sign a, a you know a bit of a a random guy that he's going to be good as well. So how is this going to work for this group? This seems highly competitive. Yeah, the the only real thing I've learned about him so far is that I think his surname is pronounced Klimsani. Oh, and nailed it. I, yeah, I still have to figure that out. But yeah, he's he. the club were looking for another academy goalkeeper. They had a Swedish boy on trial a few weeks ago as well. And I think it's because they have doubts about one of the current goalkeepers, Kalechi Chibuese, whether he's going to stay or not. Uh, Prince Adagoke is injured and will be out probably just before Christmas. And so with Ethan Wadey on loan at Dartford, you've got Carlos Ziga and Lucas Bergstrom and and Chibuese split between the three teams. So even if there there are no problems with other goalkeepers, Clemsani comes in and immediately gives them another option to to split between the two teams. Um, they signed Teddy Sharman Lowe from Burton as well. He's an England under-17 goalkeeper, but they loaned him straight back to Burton where he's made a couple of first-team appearances so far and will push for more throughout the season. But even if he doesn't play, it's not the worst place to continue to develop. He got an England call-up while at Burton. That doesn't happen very often. And also, as much as anything else, clubs are loading up on signings as much as they can because of the impending Brexit uncertainty on when and where you can sign players from outside of the UK. So Lodishon is the head of goalkeeping at the club. That doesn't necessarily mean he does any on-pitch work, but he oversees all of the uh, goalkeeping departments. And naturally, being a Frenchman and having a very strong interest in French football, he has his ear to the ground on talent over there. Chelsea have played a couple of pre-season friendlies over in France, uh, youth level in each of the previous two summers to this one. In those matches, they'd have a few trialist goalkeepers that Lolichon had been interested in. Clemsani wasn't one of those, but he was a Clairefontaine call-up for the 2004 group. So one of the better players in French domestic football at Paris FC, and he was at Crete before that. So he comes with decent credentials and we'll probably see what he's got up his sleeve um, in the coming weeks. He made his debut in a friendly on Friday, kept a clean sheet, and that's a good start. So as we take a look at how Chelsea have got on to start the season when it comes to the U18 side, uh, Brighton, uh, a thorn in the heel of all Chelsea Academy, apparently, uh, with the start of the season being a 1-1 draw. We smashed West Ham 4-1. We went ahead and drew with Southampton 1-1. And then we did most recently lose 1-0 to Crystal Palace's U18 side, which right now puts Chelsea on five points very firmly mid of the table. Aston Villa, Tottenham and Norwich uh, all in the kind of top three spaces. Uh, Just again, same narrative that this is a massive restart after time off. It's also a very refreshed side full of new players. How do you see these results in maybe just the context of that? Are there any that you're looking at? Maybe like that loss to Crystal Palace seems a little odd, at least from a Premier League perspective. But is their academy that strong that that is a result that we should have expected? I wouldn't say it was expected, but the this particular palace group is highly rated and two years ago they 
it was 18 months ago they the at the same age group against the each other crystal palace won the southern section of the floodlit cup which is the most prestigious under 15 competition that's run in premier league football um chelsea were heavy favorites for that one crystal palace went and beat chelsea 3-0 and then went off and beat wigan in the national final so they were national champions of that age group uh, wouldn't necessarily say that you'd have predicted them to come to Chelsea under 18 level and win, but it was uh, a terrible game in horrible wet conditions. Palace got one chance, one goal. Chelsea really didn't create very much, and that happens. The Southampton match was probably more disappointing because Southampton hadn't started the season very well, and Chelsea, off the back of beating West Ham 4-1, would have gone into that thinking, right, we're going to uh, set, set ourselves out here and we're going to try and go for the top of the table because they would have gone top with a win. But they, they scored early, allowed themselves to get pegged back and they'll view that as two points dropped for sure. The Palace game is one of those that happens every season where it's just an upset result that you can't really do much about. The Southampton one would have been more frustrating. And okay, they've won one match out of four so far. It's a disappointing start. But if you look back at some of the record-breaking seasons under Edwards and Morris, they had shaky starts there as well. It's about finding your groove after the international breaks and into the second half of the season and then piecing really strong runs of form together because this is still a team that is taking shape. They're, it's a mix of the under-16s that have come up and last year's second years and a bunch of guys who could play at this level have already moved on. Once they find a bit of coherency and work out how to play together, then everything's coming back to the sort of results that we're expecting from. Uh, yeah, we're, we're looking at the table and it, it's strange to see Chelsea not near the top um, so far. Uh, you have Villa on 12 points, Spurs on 10, Norwich, Palace, Arsenal, Fulham on six, and then Chelsea with five uh, in seventh place. Uh, can you maybe talk about expectations for this this particular group this season, we know how uh, dynamite they've been uh, moving, you know, kind of throughout this this league. But um, is it a maybe an off season for this team, or, or is the expectation still that they're going to go and, and win the the title in the south? The expectation is always to to win in the academy. Uh, they'll go in. I knew that was coming. To be, to it was a trick there. question. It's, yeah, it's one of the uh, the six pillars of uh, of Chelsea as a club. They've got the here to win. Uh, motto at every level on the pitch and off the pitch they want to win and yeah fine seven points off Aston Villa right now but there's still 18 matches to go uh, they've still got to play Aston Villa twice they've got to play everybody um, they're back in action uh, on this coming Saturday away to Reading they'll certainly be wanting to win that given that Reading have had uh, a shaky start to the season themselves and then they'll just they'll build from there it's it's never anything other than trying to win. And there's always been criticisms of, of that sort of approach at Chelsea with other managers and other supporters and other people saying, well, it's more about the development of the player than it is trying to win. And I'm pretty sure that they go hand in hand because you're ultimately trying to win at a professional level. You're out there to, to win. And you're going to have to learn to do that sooner rather than later. So... It's, it's installed in Chelsea's players from a young age. They enter a lot of tournament football, both at home and before the pandemic abroad. And it's it's a mentality that's it, it, it's breeded all the way through from the youngest age groups and from the top down, from Neil Bath all the way through. So I wouldn't expect anything other than to see Chelsea at the top end of this league when everything sort of settles down by Christmas. Yeah, that's one of those um, you manage with you know, care and empathy, but 
expectations dictate you need to step it up. We're going to need a little bit more out of you. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was the, the beauty of the, the Youth Cup run, the, the five in a row, that every year someone would win it and the, the new guys coming through next year would know, well, it's our turn now. We don't want to be the side team to, to let the let the side down and let the baton drop. And okay, they lost to Manchester United to end that run, but that was uh, a Mason Greenwood hat-trick. And we know what Mason Greenwood's gone on to do in the very short time since. Sometimes you just come up against a much, much better player. And for most of that time, those players were at Chelsea. Inevitably, it's going to come to an end at some point, but they're back in, they were back in the Youth Cup last season looking to win it, and they'll probably be doing so again this year. All right. Well, there's a third facet to the, the third pillar yes uh and that is the loan department we can't really say loan arm anymore i feel like i feel like we've been we're getting sl- towards that territory again uh, i know <laughs> obviously they made it a little bit more difficult but chelsea not to be deterred with 29 <laughs> loans at time of recording what were we at our peak like 64 66 something like that it was 700 yeah it was the low 40s i think in the the peak season we had about 50 moves with 40 44 players or something like that so we're not quite there yet but there are still a few players who haven't found a a place to play for the new season uh like some victor moses danny drinkwater dujon sterling so there, there is still the potential for some to come in the next week or so well it sounds like moses is heading to russia or Ukraine, which one is it? It's Russia. Uh, yeah, I think he's Moscow, Russia. Yeah. yeah, yep. Um, anyways, uh, a lot of goalkeepers out, a lot of defenders out, a lot of midfielders out, and a handful of forwards out there. But I mean, when you go to the loan army, I mean, you've got everything from someone you probably never heard of, right? Which, for, to be fair, a lot of people probably don't know Ethan Wadey. He's been on our radar for a little bit just because he's American, right? Goalkeeper on loan, all the way to Mishibachuai. Right. Like this is our loan army at Chelsea. Very <laughs> widespread. And, and you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is on this list again. And Timu Bakayoko is on this list. And then so is Marco Van Hinkle and Danilo Pantic. It's again, it is here to provide development opportunities. It is here to provide financial relief on some of these players and the prospects of financial gain with a Ross Barkley potentially. Right. So, um, anyways, Phil, from the loan army, I don't think we probably need to touch on some of the bigger players, uh, that we probably know more about, you know, I'm more interested in even like, what about a Matt Miazga going to Belgium to play for Vincent company? And what about Lewis Baker? Is he just kind of riding his time? And then you've got the young guys, Luke McCormick, Connor Gallagher, George McEachern, um, some players, obviously Armando Brogia, I'm really excited to see what he does at Vitesse, especially as you talked about his wild 18 months. Um, so I, I guess floors to you just to kind of maybe <laughs> nitpick some and then we can we can chat about them as as we see. Brandon, Brandon where did you want him to start? You went through the entire. <laughs> well, I said like, yeah, I think we, 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 we can talk. You. We can talk about the the two young guys in the Premier League, Ampadu and Gallagher, because they, they both made the step that people wanted them to to take. Gallagher had an outstanding year in the Championship. Ampadu didn't have the season he wanted at Leipzig, but everybody knows what sort of player he can be. And a season of Premier League football for each of them, if they have the success that they desire, it positions them to come back into the Chelsea first team squad under Lampard, knowing that there is a pathway and an interest in integrating them. For Ampadu, he has the chance to prove 
uh, to say to the first team staff at Chelsea, you don't need to spend however many millions on Declan Rice. I'm your answer. Whether um, Ampadu's been playing centre half so far as Sheffield United, but we know that he can play in midfield. He does it to a very high standard for Wales. Whether Rice would be used predominantly as a midfielder at Chelsea or as a centre half, who knows? But Ampadu can just put himself into that argument. Gallagher can see that Loftus Sheik's gone out on loan and. Barkley's gone out on loan and their futures at Chelsea are uncertain and he might say well if I can outperform them playing at the same level this year for perhaps equivalent clubs Fulham West Brom both came up at the same time Officer Sheik's considerably older obviously but he has his own issues the, the opportunity is there for these guys in the Premier League um when you play at the championship level, you might think they're a move away. We know that in Abraham and Mount's case, that wasn't the case last season, but that was a very uh, very unique window for Chelsea. They didn't have the opportunity to go out and make transfers. Lampard had worked with Mount. Abraham had already played in the Premier League. So I think seeing players make the leap from championship football to Chelsea is going to be rare. Getting these guys into the Premier League is what we want to see. And... Okay, so the season started in September. It's been a month and Gallagher hasn't actually played yet once because he uh, couldn't play against Chelsea. And then uh, I think he was lacking fitness for West Brom's last game out. And Padu's got an opportunity now because John Egan got suspended and Jack O'Connell will be out for the season. And let's see what they do. So I think a couple other ones that might be interesting, you know, we, we obviously just, you know, signed uh, Sar and brought him in on a free and then sent him right out to Portugal. You know, so that's kind of an interesting one to see him go directly into Porto. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on maybe some of the loans like that where they are going to maybe some more of the, the top tier clubs kind of in either, you know, maybe not the, the big three when you're thinking about like La Liga, the Bundesliga or the Premier League, but some of the, the loans that are happening, you know, in other kind of countries kind of throughout Europe. Sars an interesting one. Obviously, he was very highly rated when he first broke through at Nice, but it seems to have sort of hit a bit of a buffer in that progression and it speaks volumes that he felt that his best bet this summer was to take a sign to loan deal and then joining a club where he's ostensibly playing out of position Porto looked to be using him at left back and while he can do that I think he projects best as a left-sided centre-half so if he felt that that was his best offer and that was the best loan on offer then perhaps we need to sort of rein in our expectations as to what he can become at the same time it's a bit of a flyer for Chelsea you've picked up a player on a free on not particularly high wage. He's still pretty young. Let's give him the development time. And at worst, you might be able to sell him on for a, a small profit. Uh, I've, I've always felt that Chelsea should use the Portuguese league more for loans. It's a little bit better than Belgium and, and the Netherlands in terms of league standard. It may be a half step below France, for example, but it would suit, it would have suited somebody like Charlie Massonda down to the ground. Hmm. Um, for for want of a better comparison, you've seen that Angel Gomez has just gone out there, um, having left Manchester United. Lille signed him, loaned him to Boavista, and he's very slight in stature, uh, lacks the sort of dynamic element that Masonda has about his game. But they are sort of the similar size, and he's gone in there. Yes, he's um, he speaks fluent Portuguese, and he's uh, his family are from Portugal, so maybe he has less adaptation to do. But he's gone in there, and he looks a superstar talent already. Marcus Edwards, who used to be at Tottenham went out and played. Um, he joined Tori Gimaresh, outstanding player. Already has teams looking at signing him back in the Premier League for eight figures, high eight figures. I don't know why Chelsea have sort of been reluctant to send players out there. Lucas Piazon is out there on the second half of a two-year loan to Rio Ave. 
and and that's the sort of standard that some of these players should look to as as the bridge between their first loan and a really really top end loan um it doesn't seem to be somewhere that they've looked to too often. They've they've instead looked at Belgium. Ike Ogbo has gone to Circle Bruges this season. I think that might have something to do with Paul Clement being the manager. Um, <laughs> they've got a bit of a relationship there. I don't mind the top end of Belgian football because it's proven itself in Europe over the last few years and it's sent some players on to a, a good level of football. Miazga out there as well now, but I'd certainly like to see them do more with Portugal over the years. So I guess two more that are, are kind of interesting ones for me, Phil, and then we can we can kind of uh, get this one in the books is uh, Juan Castillo, who I thought was as good as gone last year, um, back to the Netherlands for a little bit, and Gerhi, um, who you, you know, kind of waxed poetic about a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think both of these players are super interesting for different reasons. One, you know, again, I, I think my expectation was that Castillo was not going to come back and Matzen was going to kind of be the, the up and comer. Uh, and then uh, Gurhi, obviously you you've talked about in depth, but I think for those who have not heard you talk about Gurhi, uh, maybe just elaborate a little bit on him and what his, uh, what his potential is uh, not only at Swansea, but then uh, future at Chelsea. Yeah, Gurhi's been uh, brilliant for Swansea since getting back into the mm. team uh, when during the restart he had a, a shaky start there and was rightly taken out of the firing line by Steve Cooper and then he came back in after the restart and Swansea fans will tell you that he's basically been their best player He his ball progression is on another level for players of uh, of his age or even anyone else in the championship he's comfortable on the left side of the fence they've been playing a three he's sort of assumed more responsibility this season Mike van der Horn the experienced defender left he's got Ben Cavango and Joe Rodon next to him now and he he's sort of they're, they're very good in their own right Rodon might be making a move to the Premier League in this coming week for big money but Gurr he sort of projects as a Tomori type he doesn't have the same explosive acceleration uh, and and make up speed but he's he, he ticks all the boxes in terms of defending the, the playing on the left side despite being right footed is a huge bonus he's a leader he's very very confident uh, he's he, he basically has everything you want except for ideal height. He's six one, and again, like Tamori, that doesn't matter if you have the ability to leap and compete in the air. But it's why people might look at Umboyamba and think, well, that's my defender for the future, not Gohi, because he's six foot five. On Castillo's case, I think it would be a surprise at this point if Castillo had a future at Chelsea. He went to Ajax and had a year playing for their for their young young Ajax team, and we thought, okay, they've got an option to buy. Why wouldn't he come back? Uh, why would he come back rather? I actually chose not to take up that option. He's now gone to Ezad Akhmar, where he looks like he's going to be playing back up to Owen Weindahl. And if, if he was going to break through at Chelsea, he'd probably be ahead of Martin in the reckoning already. And the mm -hmm. only way he's ahead of Martin in the reckoning is that he's older and has been out on loan. They both played together in the same team for a couple of development squad matches this year. It was Martin who got to play at left back. Castillo was up on the wing, which isn't his ideal position i think the club are looking towards martin as their guy now all right i uh i think we can wrap with the last one which everyone is probably most interested about i mean that's davide zapacosta to genoa i mean <laughs> that's right groundbreaking <laughs> no i we, we want to wrap with um armando brogia an absolute like skyrocket on the graphs right now just up and up and up he's gone to a very familiar 
home for Chelsea Lone Army fans <laughs> and Vitessa in, in the Netherlands. Um, thoughts on this move for him? Um, kind of what we're looking to see out of him before bringing him back and just kind of how his career is going in, in general. We So much positivity. Uh, we're hoping that he just continues to hit from one step to another step and continue his, his journey. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I wasn't initially sure that it was the right move to send him on loan, but I sort of had some Twitter discussions about it. And I've, I've made a point over the years of saying the most important part of a player's development is to make sure you harness the momentum that they've got and don't let it go to waste. And certainly you've got the momentum of going from the teams to the development squad to Albania under 21s to an Albania and international in 12 months. Keep that acceleration going. Let's keep putting the tougher challenges in front of him and let's see how he handles them. He's gone to Vitesse. He hasn't started a match yet, but he's already scored a goal for them. It was a poacher's goal, an instinctive goal you like to see from a striker. He scored a couple of goals for their reserves and just keeping fit because the international breaks have come along and you haven't really been able to get any rhythm or opportunities to start. He played half an hour against Ajax. Doesn't look out of his depth there. So sending him to Vitesse for a year, even if he doesn't sort of light up the score sheet and score a bunch of goals, if he takes a lot from the experience in terms of learning what it takes to play at the senior level, then it's definitely the right move. He's going to run all day. He'll run those channels. He'll be a nuisance to defenders. He's strong. He's physical. And as we saw last season, he started to use that size with with an intensity that just makes life hard for people. Uh, I I'd, I'd set the I temper expectations in terms of the goals you're going to see from him because I don't know how many games he's going to start for Vitesse. But we've learned over the years that someone like Mason Mount didn't start for the first four months over there and then exploded into life in the second half of the season. Really. Yeah, that's, he was. That's yeah. crazy. He couldn't get into the Vitesse team for for the first three months, and sort of they were t- talking about whether they were going to recall him. And Eddie Newton had conversations with him, and his dad had conversations. And Mason was like, "No, I'm not coming back. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna make it work." Um, that's I think not, the turning that's point. The he story came on. I remember. <laughs> he came on against PSV Eindhoven and scored an outrageous uh, outside of the foot goal in a losing cause and he just kept getting more and more opportunities and then they couldn't leave him out and by the end of the season he was scoring a a hat-trick for them in their Europa League playoff game so again things can change very very quickly in football and Broge has proven that repeatedly over the last few years Uh, let's see what he does well it's also like a a lesson too I think for you know because the loan pipeline's been there for so long I think there's an expectation from Chelsea fans that just, you know, if, if a player comes on loan from Chelsea to your club like Vitessa, that they're going to automatically get playing time because they're coming from Chelsea, right? And that's not always the case. I mean, you, we, we've seen plenty of loans that have not worked out, right, Phil, and that, that are just, you know, maybe the manager doesn't yep. rate the, the player coming in or, or whatever. So it, it always helps to set expectations on some of these loan deals. Absolutely. And this is part of the the loan experience. Eddie Newton would talk about it uh, regularly while he was the loan manager at the club is that you're going on loan and maybe for the first time in your career, you're not guaranteed anything. You might have mm-hmm. been the superstar at Chelsea, but you're not going into an environment where you have to earn your, your place in the team. You have to prove day in and day out that you've got what it takes against established senior pros. And we're not going to call you back if it isn't working out necessarily because this is part of the, the learning curve we want. Something that Eddie always always big on was that players have to go and learn what he called the dark arts. You have to learn to 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 be a little bit nasty sometimes on the football pitch and to fight and to battle because fine we know that you've got the the technical skills we know that you're physically gifted but have you got the mentality to to come back and play for Chelsea 
And so this this is all part of it. Ampadu is a, a decent example of that from Leipzig last year. He didn't play anywhere near as much as he wanted, but by staying out there for the whole year and working under a manager like Julian Nagelsmann, he's at the very least broadened his education and learned a new culture and a new system of playing and new responsibilities. And those are all things that he can bring back to Chelsea onto now Sheffield United with him and use to further his own course to try to break into the team at Chelsea. I I am thoroughly excited just for another season with this group. I think it was good to set the foundation for everyone, uh, Phil. So we appreciate you kind of running us through last season into this season and kind of where we're at. Uh, and having these more regular discussions is going to be a great way for you know our our Chelsea community and hopefully the broader one to stay engaged with this group, especially as we've seen its role overnight, you know, become increasingly important under Frank Lampard with Jody and Joe. You know, as you mentioned, like this is an important you know part of the club that we need to stay engaged with and and, and watch the development. So we're looking forward to it. Um, I know we've, we've talked a lot, Nick and Dan, about about the importance of this team. And obviously, we want to add the women in as well. But, uh, you know, Phil, you're a huge part of it. And we're th- grateful that you're you're willing to come on and share your knowledge with it. Like I said, it's it's been a little difficult for us to watch the games right now. So uh, thank you for, for investing your own personal time into it and then coming out and sharing it with us as well. So So thank you, sir. As always, thank you guys for having me. As you're probably well aware by now, I could talk for as long as the day runs about the academy, and to have the opportunity to be on a platform like you, you, you guys, and to share it with such a such an established audience is is a privilege. Tens of people, Phil. We're, Tens we're, of people are. are we're looking to this. forward to the time that we bring both you and Joe on at the same time, and oh, uh, God. We, we'll walk away from the Zoom call for a little In today's bit. Today's six-hour we'll just... edition of the <laughs> podcast. I can see it right now. Build this pay-per-view event, three-hour <laughs> extravaganza, HBO um, limited series. <laughs> oh awesome well anyways listeners go follow phil tell him thank you for jumping on and sharing all this knowledge uh without him and you there's really not much that goes into this because nick dan and i were complete passengers and and understandably so Uh, (laughs) just the way i like it baby just the way i like it (laughs) nick and dan thank you gentlemen for joining listeners you're the best part about this as always so jump on let's talk about these players in the social medias and the discord server as well but that's going to wrap us up uh again We're one day closer to Chelsea returning against Southampton, so we'll continue to drop the content. Uh, Daily uploads on YouTube if you need a little fix from us, but that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. 